Welcome to Real Estate Hackers, where you'll hear how real estate investors grew something from nothing. Property management is going to become more technical. Our entire business today is based off of a hack. What if you could put $1,000 into an apartment building project on your phone? With YouTube, with podcasts, you can catch up very quickly to a seasoned investor. Now here's your real estate hacker host, Chad Gallagher. Welcome to the Real Estate Hackers Show, where we talk to actual investors who use systems and tech to scale out their business and where they see this all going in the future. Before we get to this week's guest, a few words from our partners and friends of the show. Welcome to Real Estate Hackers, where you'll hear how real estate investors grew something from nothing. Property management is going to become more technical. Our entire business today is based off of a hack. What if you could put $1,000 into an apartment building project on your phone? With YouTube, with podcasts, you can catch up very quickly to a seasoned investor. Now here's your real estate hacker host, Chad Gallagher. Welcome to the Real Estate Hackers Show, where we talk to actual investors who use systems and tech to scale out their business and where they see this all going in the future. Before we get to this week's guest, a few words from our partners and friends of the show. This show is brought to you by Slate House Property Management. Slate House manages over 3,500 units across the Mid-Atlantic, including Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Maryland. Property management is sure not the sexiest industry, but what makes Slighthouse unique is it was founded by investors and engineers. Slighthouse has built or licensed over 12 different technologies to improve returns for investors and make better living experiences for tenants. Full-time maintenance guys help work get done quicker at a reasonable price. Slighthouse manages properties for many of the guests on this show and has helped them scale their business while they focus on acquiring properties. For more information, go to slatehousegroup.com, call 717-413-6976, or email service at slatehousegroup.com. Look forward to talking to you. What's up, guys? Chad Gallagher coming to you live here today from the Trenton Hive. And let me tell you, I hope it sounds good because we got these new tricked out microphones that are sick. Um, so I'm a little more jazz than normal. Uh, we've got Hervé Francois in the house and I'm super pumped to hear what Hervé has to bring to us. Hervé, thanks for joining us. Chad, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me today. All right. Um, so we're always trying to find new speakers that are doing innovative things, ideally in the tech math space. And what we found about Hervé that we were pumped about is he actually was originally an analyst uh, on Wall Street. Do I have that right? You do have that right. That's correct. Okay. <laughs> you, you didn't like that very much. I had a great time there. I was there for, gosh, 23 years um, and kind of stumbled upon it kind of accidentally. Um, I was in grad school down in Washington, D.C. at the time, and we had a lot of different um, – um, kind of folks that uh, do the interviews uh, for these investment banks come down to DC and start talking to us. I had no idea what it was. This, uh, you know, I don't come from a family tree of investment banking or Wall Street research analysts. Uh, my my parents came here from Haiti back in 1965 and oh, wow. just yeah, you know, pulled up the bootstraps and 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 made it along the way. So, um, you know, I was fortunate to go to good schools here, but again, didn't know anything about the Wall Street industry. But with some friends that I had gone to school with, um, really um, started talking to me about what it entailed. Uh, and then from there, I, I landed my first job at Smith Barney. Uh, now Citigroup, but Smith Barney back in the days, um, and really to be an associate to a senior Wall Street research analyst at the time, she was covering a sector called electrical equipment. So she was covering about 10 to 15 stocks, stocks like General Electric, 
American Standard, York, and so on and so forth. And, you know, I just kind of hit the ground running. I mean, I didn't know what I was doing. I was, uh, you know, going home and curling my bells. Like, do I want to do this? Can I do this? Yeah. I mean, it was everything what you kind of expected, right. you know, working on the street at that time. So, but what I love is that, uh, and I think so many people here on the podcast will find interesting is how you, you kind of uh, made a run there on Wall Street as an analyst, but then you were able to foray that into a uh, a useful talent to basically figure out how to acquire and what to acquire in the real estate sphere. Yeah, no, that's that's very true. But you know what, a lot of folks uh, don't realize um, is because you know when you're working on the street. You're very much in the trenches on the day-to-day of what you're doing. When you're working in real estate, you're very much in the trenches on the day-to-day of what you're doing. There's a lot more similarities between the assets, so to speak, that Wall Street covers versus the assets that real estate professionals cover, right? Yeah. So the Wall Street analysts are covering stocks and bonds. We all know that those are very liquid assets. And the real estate investors, professionals, obviously they're investing in real estate and very much an illiquid asset. So a lot of times when I was an analyst, I wasn't necessarily covering stocks from a yield perspective. People wanted me to recommend them stocks that they can get in at a low price and turn around and sell it, obviously, at a high price in a year's time from now, right? So it was much more of an appreciation game. We know in real estate, it's definitely a yield game. People do also play it for appreciation. But with, for example, a lot of the carnage and the volatility taking place in the stock market now, what are you hearing so-called stock market experts and specialists um, talking about is the, 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 the chase for yield, the thirst for yield. And all of that is bringing a lot of investors into real estate, whether you are a passive investor, whether you are an active investor, whatever kind of investor. So I'm not going to say it was easy. Real estate is truly, truly its own beast. You have to be very, very patient uh, with it, as a lot of you guys may know. But um, I was able, I think, to parlay and bring over a lot of the so-called expertise I had in analyzing stocks into going ahead and also now analyzing real estate. That's awesome. Um, why don't you just drill down a little bit more, maybe talk me through um, an example of kind of a, a skill set you were able to pull from your analyst days and how you were kind of able to use that to figure out a, a property or a market. Um, yeah. you know, give, maybe give our listeners kind of an example. Of how that yeah, yeah, no, sure. Out. Absolutely. That's a good question. Um, I would, you know, I, so I joined or, you know, partnered up with Matt Faircloth's DeRosa group, um, and Ben's, uh, Providence Capital, um, back in April. And they really wanted me to come on board and help them kind of target the new markets that they wanted to identify where they were going to continue to acquire their multifamily assets. And then on top of that, help them out with some underwriting of the deals. And I think that's where there's probably the most similarities versus what I was doing on the street as a financial analyst. And I should probably be, you know, specific that for the 23 years that I was on the street, the first 12 years, I was a research analyst, right? So I was covering stocks and then I was calling up portfolio managers at mutual funds and hedge funds saying, Hey, I recommend you buy stock A, B, and C because these are the reasons. This is all the research analysts that I did. I did all this overview of the industry. I did all the competitive SWOT analysis and so on and so forth. Based on that, you know, I recommend you buy this stock or, and, 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 and short this particular stock. Um, when, you know, moving over to the real estate side, you know, when you talk about underwriting deals, we always talk about performance and we talk about forecasts. Well, in the in doing financial analysis for, you know, in the Wall Street world, you're also making your 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 
your target price based off of performance, what your, you know, 12 month, 24 month projections are on financials. We kind of do the same thing here on real estate. When you talk about the real estate professional wanting to purchase a multifamily with a five-year exit plan, right? So we're putting a five-year pro forma together. So that there, I think, is is definitely a similarity there. The last 11 years on the street, I was a sales manager. So, you know, then I was pitching stocks of other analysts to portfolio managers at hedge funds and mutual funds and saying, hey, my analyst, Chad Gallagher, recommends that, you know, you buy Google over Facebook for reasons A, B, and C kind of a thing. Right. And so then I had to really go ahead and improve my just my relationship skills with portfolio managers, because as you imagine, it's a very, very competitive business, as is real estate. Why should we listen to Chad pitching Google over Facebook versus yeah. another analyst pitching yeah. that and so on and so forth? Right. So I had to hone in on that, um, really figure out what kind of and so there's a lot of market research in what kind of portfolio managers now you're going to be reaching out to. Because you not just one size fits all. And it's the same thing as you know in real estate, right? Not everyone wants to invest in New Jersey. Right. And not everyone wants to do appreciation <laughs> yeah. or, or so cash just to, flow. So I um there's something you said there that I kinda wanna drill down on a little bit and sure. I really like, which is, you know, I think that sometimes people in real estate they they look at the buying a buying a building, mm -hmm. right? And they look at the physical characteristics and um I, I've always kind of been like a math tech guy and I one of the mentors that I look up to and always said, you're, you're buying a business. Yes. Um, in particular, maybe not a single family home, but in particular, as you get into a multifamily or a commercial space, um, you're, you're acquiring the business. And I love how you're comparing analyzing the business to analyzing Google as a tech stock to acquire. Yes. And that in many ways they're, they're the same thing. Right. I think that's a really interesting, uh, comparison kind of changes maybe a little bit how investors kind of think about something. You think about buying a property is really buying the business. Absolutely. Absolutely. And especially if you're going to be buying that property for a you know, decent period of time that you're going to be holding on to, it's the managing of the business, right? That's when you start hearing Matt and other investment professionals start talking about property managers, how it's as important, if not the most important into really owning uh, that, that building, that, that business, so to speak. Right. Because yeah. it's a managing of the day to day. Yeah. And I bet, I mean, I, I guess the to kind of push the correlation a little further. I, I imagine the property management company looks a lot like probably a CEO yes. and the leadership team of a, of a, you know, yeah. a stock. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Once you commit to go ahead and buying that stock, you are really making a bet on the CEO. You're making a bet on the business. That's why, the same company over a 10, 20 year, the same publicly traded company over a 10, 20 year period could perform really well in some years and not perform very well in other years. You got to look at who's managing the company at that, at those given times. Yeah. Right. And, and, you know, you, you take a case, for example, um, I don't know, I guess like, like Uber, for example, right? So the founder of the company, the board of directors, they realized that he wasn't the best person to run the company after a while. He was kind of loosey-goosey. He wasn't a good captain, a good steward of the ship, so to speak. And they went ahead and they brought someone a little bit more polished and a little bit more focused on where they wanted to grow. And he started to turn around the business. It still got a lot of work to do, but it's just giving the same company, you know, two different managers. And so, you know, I remember not too long ago having this discussion with Matt, you have the wrong property manager on your business. You have the wrong CEO managing that stock that you just purchased. It, you, you're going to run into some rough waters. Yeah, no, I love that. I, I love the comparison. Uh, we, uh, 
I, this actually just, it's interesting. There's a property in Portsmouth that we just started to manage. And uh, this is Portsmouth, Virginia. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it was not doing well. And the, the last six months financials did not look very good. And the reality was actually the, the management team that was managing it was just not doing a right. great job. Yep. And uh, it's, it's interesting. I think the further I get in real estate, I start to, I really hesitate when people say, is this a good property to buy? I mean, it, A, I want to know what the price point is. But I've also started to ask a lot more about who's the management team and what are they doing today? Absolutely. Uh, to understand if we can get a new team in there, can that change things out? Absolutely. And that kind of helps me understand the upside. Absolutely. Uh, which is interesting. Very similar to how and, you. And Chad, I'll add one more thing to what you're saying there is that it is even, it is critically important to have the correct, the right property manager managing your property, managing your business, as you mentioned it, as you put it, when you are purchasing it with the intent of it being a value add play. Right. Because now not all property managers are cut the same. You have some property managers that manage thousands of doors across the country, but they may manage type A properties. I'm not going to call it easy, but maybe not as difficult as managing a turnaround of a type C property into a C plus or B minus. Yeah. Now it's like, uh oh, show me examples that you've been able to do this. It's the same thing in the CEO world when you're buying stocks. When you're talking about buying a stock that's a turnaround play versus buying a stock in which management has been in their steady 80 grower for the past 20 years. They like to pay a steady dividend to investors, 5 6% per year, and so on and so forth. So now you have to think about what not only what type of property man do I want a good property manager, but is the good property manager do I have here, does he or she have experience in managing a turnaround, if yeah. this is a turnaround play yeah. or just, you know, type A asset. Yeah, it's awesome. I love, I mean, I just, I love the, uh, I love kind of pushing all the way through the analogy. It's great. of kind of the tech sector. Um, now, do you do this for individual properties uh, and also markets? Like, do you look at a market like Lexington, Kentucky and say, you know, what are the, the kind of macro data of the market or is it specifically on a property by property basis that you're No, we definitely look at it on a market by market basis, right? Because there's a lot of shiny nickels out there when you look at both markets and when you look at both properties. Um, And so we definitely look at the market first because you can, right? We don't want to be, you know, the the, the great looking property in a very difficult city Mm -hmm. or in city that has macros going in the other direction, right? Mm -hmm. We don't want to be pissing in the wind, so to speak, right? The business is tough enough. So we want to have the macros you know, to our backs. We want that in, you know, kind of in our back pockets, um, kind of as a cushion, just kind of as a hedge. In the event that OO occupancy is beginning to decline a little bit, this man, this this run, managing this property is a little bit more difficult than we expected. At least we know that we are in a city that's benefiting from strong population growth, job growth, industry diversification, job diversification, and so on and so forth. Because if you are managing a property and all of a sudden, there's some difficulties there. Vacancy starts to pick up. Um, you know, business starts to pull. And then you happen to be in a city where the population growth is declining, job growth is declining. You know, and now you have to try to manage or turn around in, in a city with right. those type of metrics. You know, good luck. Can, can I put you in the spot here? Is there sure. a, is there a market that that you see out there that you like? And maybe you're not. Yeah, yeah. No, I, there, there, there are several. There are several. Um, I, I like what's going on in um, Jacksonville, Florida, 
for example, where you've had over the past several years some really good population growth, you've had decent job growth. It's a nice mixture of white collar um, and blue collar jobs. And I'm really talking about middle Jacksonville. I'm not talking about the shore where you have the million dollar properties or whatnot. Yeah. Um, and, and you got low unemployment, the state of Florida, obviously being a very landlord friendly state, um, similar, um, and, and, and you have businesses moving in and believe it or not, the, um, the owner of the Jacksonville Jaguars is is really been proactive in helping the revitalization of downtown Jacksonville, which I think has helped spur some economic growth and activity um, taking place over there. Um, I like Washington, D.C., believe it or not. Washington, D.C. was a little bit of a different beast. Now, here's an example of a city that's not very landlord friendly. It's more tenant friendly. But I like D.C. in that there's not a lot of places to expand you have some regulations on that, but there's been so much gentrification taking place, so much improvement. We know that Amazon announced the uh, addition of their uh, uh, global headquarters or their, their, one of their H2, so to speak, in Crystal City, Virginia, right outside of D.C. Um, so you have a lot, a lot of job growth, economic activity taking place in D.C., um, you have to dig around for the cash flow opportunities in D.C. There are definitely a lot of appreciation opportunities in D.C., but there's an example of two cities that are attractive, but they're attractive for different reasons and no different than a stock investor that likes to buy, let's say, a utility stock because he or she just likes the dividend yield that that you know, pays off on a yearly basis versus buying a tech stock like Apple that you're really buying not necessarily for yield, but you're buying for appreciation. Yeah. That's interesting. Uh, I, I, I'd heard you had owned some real estate in Washington, D.C., and uh, you, you're probably the first investor I've personally <laughs> talked to who's, who's been willing to kind of uh, go, go into that, what I have to imagine is a very complex yes. ecosystem. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, you know, it, 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 it is. The funny thing is, you know, over the past year, year and a half, I've been meeting more and more investors that are interested in investing in D.C. and investors that are currently investing in D.C. But you need to know your spots. Take a sheet of paper and draw a huge plus sign. D.C. has four quadrants, right? So the northwest section of D.C. is a very affluent area. That's where Georgetown University, George Washington University, right? So you got a very affluent area. That's more of the appreciation play of Washington, D.C. The more cash flow centric play is in the Southeast section where it's still played with a lot of high crime, a lot of high, uh, un high employment. C-class neighborhoods? C-class neighborhoods, some areas D-class neighborhoods, but slowly on the turn. Yeah. Slowly on the turn. Department of Homeland Security is going to be moving their headquarters over there. Washington Wizards is going to be putting their uh, practice facility over there. Um, so yeah, so, so slowly on the move. So opportunity to get in some really good price points but again, keep in mind that you're dealing with a tenant-friendly city versus the, some of the southern states. More and so when, when you're looking at these markets, are you I mean, you're breaking out a spreadsheet and you're actually creating kind of macroeconomic trends of what these things look like? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's really bringing me back to some of, you know, my, my, my Wall Street days as a research analyst. I mean, I've got spreadsheets among spreadsheets. You know, you got to be careful not to, you know, analyze yourself to death, right? Yeah. Analysis by paralysis, so to speak. Um, is the is the data source the census? I guess there's a whole bunch of data sources. Whole here. bunch of data source, right? Thank goodness, you know, for the internet in that respect. The census is definitely one of them for some of those like real top level metrics. Um, uh, 
BLS, Bureau of Labor Statistics, another government website, and a real good data when you start look a uh, good good uh, website when you start talking about um, unemployment uh, uh, growth and the growth and and employment growth, wage growth over the past several years in respective cities and different MSAs. Bestplaces.net, niche.net, World Population Review has great overviews on individual cities. Um, what I like about that one, they'll even show tell you the percent of renters in a particular city versus the percent of owners. Mm even has a lot of demographic and age um, statistics on their website and gives you kind of a nice brief overview of what's going on in the city. And then lastly, and I'm going to talk about in my presentation later today is how, um, you know, we, we look where a lot of folks look at job growth, population growth, industry diversification, and we also look at employer diversification. So I have a spreadsheet on that. I got a spreadsheet on industry diversification, do look at property managers. We literally call property managers in a specific city um, really to try to get a gauge. Hey, do you have experience? Can you show me some examples of some turnarounds that you've managed mm. in your portfolio? Um, and we we also um, take a look at uh, the vacancies rates in particular cities and things like that. So yeah, a lot of spreadsheets. And I guess we look at a lot of data because there's no one data that screams out to us and saying, okay, yes, you know, we're going to go ahead and, and, and invest in this city because this particular data point looks great. We kind of look at all, I would say six plus data points together. And then from there, right, that's when you have to kind of remove your goggles, roll up your sleeves, and then really start, you know, trying to get some conversations with people feet on the ground. You, um, as you're coming in here, you mentioned that you were able to kind of keep, um, Matt and team out of a couple of deals. Um, is there one you could kind of speak to where maybe some data came to light as you were analyzing the deal that said, this isn't the right deal for us? Yeah. Um, there was a, um, there was a property, um, that we were looking at. It was, it was, it was brought to our attention by a commercial real estate broker. And, um, I started doing some work on the city and, um, I started doing some work on the particular asset after I did some work on the city. When I did work on the city, um, it wasn't incredibly attractive, but it didn't, you know, scream for us to turn around and run away either. So it was, it was, it was stable. It was stable. It wasn't any kind of hyper growth. It wasn't, you know, the Dallas and Atlantis of the worlds. It was, I would say, a secondary, maybe even a tertiary market. All right. So that th those kind of markets are really, really interesting from the standpoint. I think a huge positive is that they're not as competitive as the, you know, bigger cities, Dallas and Houston and Atlanta and so on and so forth, where yep. you see a lot of investors. But on the and but on on the flip side, because they're not that competitive, they're they're not that competitive for a reason. Because do you have strong economy? Do you have strong job growth? That that secondary or tertiary city is benefiting from. We walked away from this particular deal that was brought to us because it was, uh, I would say, in a tertiary city with a population of thirty-five thousand. Um, that didn't spook us, right? So that's well below the pop, the population, you know, um, uh, uh statistic that we like to see. We like to see three hundred thousand plus. We can get down to two hundred, two hundred fifty thousand. This was thirty-five thousand, but that didn't spook us as much as that. This particular property about. Uh, 35 to 40 percent of the tenant base came by a nearby university. And this university 
one of the things that in doing my research, this university has been experiencing a decline in enrollment over the past three to four years. So that spooked us. That spooked us because it's like, it's a state university. We don't know why there has been an enrollment. It could be some budget cuts that it could be taking place or whatnot. And then we're like, well, you know, what happens if this enrollment decline continues? You know, what if, you know, the university decides to go ahead and build some more dorms on campus to try to capture some more revenues towards them? You know, what does the occupancy rate now look like for this particular asset? It looked real attractive from the point that, to what you are saying earlier, we do believe it was mismanaged. Payroll expenses were way higher than they needed to be. Um, insurance premiums were way higher than they needed to be. So there was some nice low-hanging fruit that if we had come in there, we would have been able to benefit from right away. But again, what spooked us was that percentage exposure to university students relative. And, and again, this is a university of 15,000 students in a city of a, a population of 35,000. Yeah, wow. Yeah. 40, 40% of the population's a college yeah. town that's declining. That's declining, exactly. Uh, you know, it's interesting. As the, I mean, one thing I've learned about looking at college towns in real estate is as the economy takes off and has been strong for the last five years, yeah, you often actually see a decline in enrollment. Yes. Um, with just more jobs out there. Yeah. And uh, it's interesting to see if the economy kind of levels off and maybe hits a downturn. It could actually be a time to get back into college housing uh, towns. But uh, cool. I love that. Um, so I want to close with one more question. Sure. I ask all of our guests. As you kind of forecast for the future, you look at the next three to five years, um, when, when you look at things like tech and, um, you know, various kind of ways of analyzing markets and, and properties, what is something that you think we'll be talking more about in the next three to five years than maybe we're kind of looking at today? You know, really from a real estate perspective? Um, yes. Yeah, I, I, I think we're going to be talking about, I think, of a, a variety of things, right? I mean, we're we're seeing... There's been a lot of technology that has been brought into real estate, but at the same time, I think real estate, when you took a look, take a look at a bunch of industries out there, um, um, healthcare and education and retail, obviously manufacturing, um, real estate is, I think, really, really behind the eight ball when it comes to technology really coming and intervene and taking over certain aspects of the entire real estate supply chain. You have been seeing creeping more and more, whether it companies, apps, and so on and so forth. Um, uh, what is it? Zillow uh, coming in and saying that, you know, they can go ahead and sell your property right away and, and, and things like that may not be the best. And they also want to buy and they want to turn around and do rehab. I think we'll see some more. I, I think, as more entrants come in, it's going to result in other guys just kind of falling to the wayside, right? There's going to be, I think, a little bit of shakeout over there. Um, I think um, what I really hope for is that there's going to be more education of real estate beginning at the high school level, if not at the collegiate level. Mm -hmm. I have two sons um, that are that are teenagers, and I'm constantly talking about real estate and saying, hey, listen, guys, you don't need to do what I'm doing. Go ahead and pursue your passions, but at the same time, think about keeping this on the side mm -hmm. in regards to real estate from a cash flow perspective. Mm -hmm. Because you know you got to feel for you know the students graduating within the next several years, the amount of student debt that they're coming in, pushing off buying houses, and so on and so forth. So I I, I think there's I, I hope there's more education that comes to it. I think that there is, particularly the more and more volatility that we see in the market. I'm not spooked on real estate you know, 
everyone has their own crystal ball. I'm not spooked about it right now because interest rates are so low and real estate still um, uh, provides a very attractive investment yield. The one thing I would just caution to investors is you probably really want to focus on more cash flow plays than appreciation plays because we definitely have seen a lot of you know inflation in values across the country over past 18 months. That's awesome. I love that. Um, so well, last thing, just to put you again on the spot. So you analyzed stocks previous yep. to this. Uh, probably the most popular stock I can think of in the real estate sphere is Zillow. Uh, do you want to make a call on Zillow? Is it, is it a buy? Is it a uh, sell? You know, I, I, it's hard for me to make a call on Zillow because I, I would have to look at the other competitors in the space. I'm, I'm, I'm not a... Um, I, I would I would not be buying it. I would have to do a little bit more research, but right now I'm not a buyer because I have to take a look a little bit more at their business model. I think they're one of the reasons why they've made this move the way that they had, where you know they'll go ahead and it almost seems like they're trying to remove the real estate agent from the process, right? I mean, and that's what we're seeing more and more is you know an Uber trying to remove the taxis out of the process and so on and so forth. This whole asset light intensive you know, business model guys like Uber and Airbnb, uh, are, you know, are doing out there. So, um, but I don't know if it's going to necessarily pay off for Zillow, you know? So for me, it's more of a wait and see than anything else. Yeah. So we're holding Zillow stock we're, we're right now. We're holding Zillow stock right now. If you're an ne owner. Neutral? That's a neutral. neutral. That's a neutral. That's a neutral. Right. That's a neutral. They've, they've cleaned it up a little bit back in the, uh, in, 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 in the tech bubble days, Merrill Lynch, um, took the lead of having 18 different, um, uh, uh, stock, uh, iterations, <laughs> 18 different ways of what you could do with a stock from buy to sell. Wow. Yeah. It's crazy. All right. Irve, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, awesome stuff. Interesting analysis of how you're using, looking at markets, love hearing a couple markets to look at. That's always fascinating. Um, for those of you interested in buying and selling Zillow, it sounds like Zillow's uh, on the neutral side of things. Um, uh, but it still sounds like Irve is actually a believer in what they're doing long-term uh, just maybe not quite sure if today's the day to get in or not. So, hey, man, thanks so much for joining. Awesome stuff. And uh, yeah, we'll see you guys next week. All right, Chad. Appreciate it. Thanks cool. for having me. Bye. Yep. So that's our episode of Real Estate Hackers. Thanks for joining us in your real estate investing journey. We come out with fresh new episodes weekly. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And if you would, let your fellow investors know about us. Also, if you've ever hacked or found a unique solution to an issue in the real estate space, hit me up. We may even share your real estate hack on a future episode. Check out our site at realestatehackers.com, on Instagram at realestatehackers, or email me directly at chad at realestatehackers.com. Real Estate Hackers is an on-air brands production. Huge thanks and shout out to Eric and the team at On Air Brands. Be sure to check them out at onairbrands.com. This is Chad Gallagher, your host of Real Estate Hackers. Hope to see you at our next meetup or live event. And who knows, you may even be the next guest hacker on our show. See you soon.